Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, please. And we find our place this morning in Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12, and we will begin reading at verse 12 uh, down through verse 17. The Word of God says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. When we opened up Hebrews chapter 12 a couple of weeks ago, we immediately saw the writer using the metaphor of running to describe the Christian life. That in order to finish the race, we need to be inspired by those who have already finished. We need to deal with the stuff that slows us down, all the while, while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. The whole point of that opening three verses in Hebrews chapter 12 was to say if you are not a Christian, it's time to get in the race. And if you are a Christian, keep running and don't give up. The writer then in verses 4 through 11 detours slightly by reminding us of God's fatherly discipline. That although his discipline can be a painful experience, his discipline assures us that we belong to him, and it serves to make us more like Christ. Now as we come to verse 12 of the chapter, the writer takes us back to the original metaphor at the beginning of the chapter. He seems to be a lover of running, and it's to the metaphor of running that we once again return in verses 12 through 17. I've titled the message this morning, as you see here, The Danger of Running Discouraged. The Danger of Running Discouraged. And we've already looked at, in verse 3, of the possibility of discouragement in the Christian life. The writer says there in verse 3 that it is possible for us as believers to become weary and discouraged in our souls. Again, runners call this hitting the wall. 
That moment in the race, usually in a marathon, it's somewhere around mile 20 or beyond that everything within you seems to be collapsing. You are hitting the proverbial wall. Your back hurts. Your legs are tight. You can feel the blisters forming around your toes. You say, Pastor, I feel all of that when I get up in the morning, not when I'm running a marathon. It's brutal. Perhaps even at this point in a marathon, believe it or not, it does happen A toenail might come off at this point. Your pace is slowing. You start to feel lightheaded. Every square inch of your body is telling you to quit. And this is the hardest point of the race for a runner because you're almost there. I mean, you're almost at the finish line, but it feels so far away. And you're not sure that you can go any further. So you start finding ways to distract your mind because it's telling you over and over again that you're not going to make it. You start counting every step you take. I've been running long distances before and I'm just saying to my mind, right, left, right, left, right, left. You start counting every mailbox that you're passing just to keep your mind uh, pushing you through, doing anything you can to keep going. It's, it's the most vulnerable spot in any race that a runner runs. And that's exactly where we are in our text. The spiritual vulnerability of discouragement as we run our race. The spiritual vulnerability of discouragement as we run our race. You see, there are moments in our race, verse 12 tells us as Christians, where we find our hands or our arms hanging down and our knees weak. We're drooping, so to speak. We're bent over. Our knees are shaking. They're weak. They're feeble. Everything is hurting. The description here in verse 12 is a description of discouragement. It's a description of fear. In fact, he's quoting to us from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 35 and verse 3, where it says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear, behold your God will come. He will come and save you. You see, their external physical posture, their external physical posture had revealed an internal spiritual despair. They're bent over. Their chins are dropped. Their heads down. Their arms hanging. The knees are weak. They're discouraged. And they're vulnerable. I want you to know, church, that Satan loves this moment in our life. Discouragement is one of his greatest weapons of warfare against us. He wants to discourage you. He wants to cause you to fear. To fear circumstances. To fear relationships. To fear the future. And when we experience discouragement, it can create a very 
dangerous, vulnerable time in which our temptations to quit are intensified. Just like a runner who hits the wall and is tempted to quit the race when he hits the wall. So it is in the Christian life. A Christian who is down, a Christian who is struggling, a Christian who is discouraged, it is then he is most vulnerable. It is then his temptations are intensified to turn away from God. To quit. He knows, Satan that is, he knows this about us and it's why his work is to do everything he can to keep our knees weak and to keep our arms drooping down because it's then that we think things we wouldn't normally think it's when we're discouraged that we respond to God in ways that we would not normally respond to him It's when we are discouraged, I'm talking about me this morning, we make bad choices that serve our appetites rather than make us holy. I think it's important for us to get this because we greatly underestimate the downward spiral that discouragement brings, both to ourselves and to others. I want us to mention a few of these dangers from the context of our text this morning. Because as he deals with discouragement, running discouraged, there are three particular themes that he brings to light here that we are most vulnerable with at these moments in our lives. Here's the first one. The first danger of running discouraged is simply broken relationships. Broken relationships. Verse 14 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, relationships are one of the first things that discouragement can have an effect on. Both our relationship with one another, which is why he says pursue peace with all people. So both our relationship with one another and our relationship with God. He says not only pursue peace with all people, but pursue holiness which is intended toward God. So discouragement can have an effect on our relationship with each other. It can have an effect on our relationship with God. Now follow me. When we neglect to arise out of the ashes of our discouragement, it causes us to be distant with others we feel like we're the only ones living in this world of pain that we're in and we refuse to open up we refuse to receive help from the people that God has placed in our lives discouragement when it takes the posture of self Pity has a tendency to keep us distant from God, distant from church. It's one of the reasons why we see many times in Scripture when men like Elijah was at his lowest point, you kind of think that God's being a little insensitive, but he's not. He, He comes to Elijah and says, dude, what's wrong with you? Get up. You've been laying here for days. It's time to get up. Arise from the ashes. Get going. If you don't get up, you're going to stay here the rest of your life. 
So it is with our own personal discouragements. That when discouragement sets in, one of the first things that affects is our relationship with others, our relationship with God, we, we become distant with people. Then the distance evolves into a disappointment with others. We feel like people have neglected us in our discouragement. Although we've made no efforts to seek help from the people God has placed in our lives, we still believe it's their fault for not reaching out to us. We're disappointed by what they've said, what they have not said. What they've done, what they have not done. And again, at times, that discouragement even brings disappointment toward God. We feel He has somehow wronged us by allowing us to experience this hard time. So we stop talking to Him. We stop reading our Bibles. That distance in our relationship evolves in an overall disappointment with people. We blame them. But then, the disappointment is quick to give way to division in our relationships. Starts with distance, it moves to disappointment, and then it becomes division. And here we mean brokenness. Brokenness. No communication. No fellowship. No harmony. We must hear, church family, what the writer is saying here. Perhaps there is no greater time in your life or in my life where our relationship with others and our holiness toward God is to be kept in check than when we are running discouraged. In fact, he says, look at it there, verse 14, pursue it, pursue it, pursue, you pursue it. You pursue peace with all. That is, make every effort, as one translation says. Make every effort, make every effort to find peace with all people. Now, I appreciate the Bible's honesty. It's helpful. Because it doesn't say here, achieve peace with all. Okay? It's very important that we note that so that we don't leave discouraged. It doesn't say achieve peace with all because we may not be able to achieve peace with everyone. There are those I have offended and I know I've offended. My own foolishness and stupidity, my own fleshly ways, reactions, however you want to put it. And when the Lord convicts me of those things and I pick up the phone and say, look, I'm sorry, I blew it, I should have never done that. I am so grateful, I am so grateful for the ones who give grace to me and bring peace back into our relationship. But it's hard when you try to pursue peace with others who have no desire to have peace with you. So understand that in all of our relationships. The Bible is not putting any obligation here that in order to be right with God, peace has to be achieved. No, sometimes that's not possible. What he is saying here, that we are to do everything in our power to seek peace with everyone in hopes that it is possible. 
That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, if it is possible, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, church, not as much as depends on them, as much as depends on you, if it is possible, live at peace with all people. Conflict and division among God's people, listen carefully, it brings glory to Satan, not God. It exalts Satan's mission. And you know what Satan's mission is? He's the accuser of the brethren. We are never more like Satan than when we sit around and berate one another and accuse one another. That's what Satan's doing. And so when there's conflict and division, it exalts Satan's mission. It doesn't exalt the gospel's mission. Few things grieve God more and impede the race that you and I are running than conflict and division among God's people in the family of God. There are many people today who have dropped out of the race and will never finish because in a moment of discouragement, they allowed their relationships to crumble. For whatever reason, stubbornness, fear, blame. And don't forget our pursuit of holiness here in verse 14, which is one of the first things to go when we find ourselves at odds with our Heavenly Father and at odds with others. It doesn't mean that we are to run perfectly. We can't run perfectly. But what it does mean is that when we run, even in our miles of discouragement, that we keep running toward God and not away from Him. That's what it means to pursue holiness. Even in our most discouraged moments, don't run away from God, run toward God. And even while you're running toward God, you're still going to stumble. You're still going to fall. There's still going to be roadblocks that are going to trip you up with every mile that you run. But at least you're going the right direction. You're running toward Him. You're pursuing Him. And that is what God says, without which no one can see me. Pursuit of God, a pursuit of holiness, a pursuit of peace. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. This is not optional. This is not optional. Peace and holiness is not an amenity to Christian living. It is Christian living. Pursuing peace with God and holiness with others, it's one of the first things to go when discouragement attacks us. And so he says, when you're running discouraged, you better, you, better, you better keep an eye out and make sure that you're not breaking the relationships that God has formed in your life. The relationship that you have with each other and the relationship that you have with God. It is a temptation naturally when we go through difficult times to fear what other people think of us. It was one of my greatest fears that when I, when I collapsed over a year ago, what's my church going to think of me? Will they receive me back the same? We fear those things, and likely you as well, because so often at our weakest moments, we have experienced the deterioration 
of relationships. But it's so important, no matter how discouraged you are this morning, not to allow self-pity and pride or anything that's been done to you wrongfully to keep you from pursuing peace with all people and holiness with God. We're talking about the dangers of running discouraged, broken relationship. There's a second danger he mentions in verse 15, and it's that of bitter hearts. The first danger, broken relationships. The second danger, bitter hearts. Bitter hearts. Look at verse 15. Uh, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. All right? So similar to that of a broken relationship is the danger of a bitter heart. When we are running discouraged... We are in danger of losing sight of the grace of God and allowing sinful emotions like envy and anger and the one he mentions here, bitterness. We are in danger of allowing these sinful emotions to take root in our hearts and not only bring trouble to ourselves, but also to others, even if it's an inverted. Now, how is it that we fall short of the grace of God? Well, we fall short of the grace of God when the gospel is not at the center of our lives. A church will fall short of the grace of God when the gospel is not at the center of the church. You see, it's easy for an unforgiving and bitter spirit to take root and grow when we lose sight of the gospel of grace. The grace that God has given to us. The grace of redemption. The grace of adoption. The grace of forgiveness. The grace of new mercies every single day. You see, when we lose sight of the grace that we have been given from God through Christ in the gospel. When we lose sight of that, we will allow bitterness to grow. Unforgiveness to permeate our spirits. But what he's telling us here is to take the same peace and the same grace and the same love that we have been given in Christ and in Christ, give it to one another, even in our moments of discouragement. You see, bitterness and anger and envy, they're all poisons. It harms you and it harms everyone around you. It's a root that springs up, he says. It not only troubles you, it's going to trouble everybody else, trouble everybody else. That's why when we get bitter and we refuse to forgive, we often think that we are doing harm to the one we're refusing to forgive, when in reality, we're doing more harm to ourselves. And the greatest danger is that when you and I are bitter and we refuse to forgive in light of the gospel of grace, it opens the door for Satan to have his way in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. By the way, the context of the whole letter 
was about discouragement. He's trying to help them in weakness, in his own weakness, in his own discouragement, how to get through these difficult miles in the race. And one of the first things he talks about is forgiving people. And here's what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, 10. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now, the context of it is this. There, there was a troublemaker in the church who had just derailed Paul's character and testimony. He was a troublemaker. And Paul stands up and says, look, I've forgiven him, and if I've forgiven him, I want you to forgive him, because what he actually did was against me. Now you can see the camaraderie of this church, the togetherness. They, they were hurt by the fact that this troublemaker had, uh, had uh, talked bad about their pastor. And so Paul says, look, I've, I've forgiven him, I want you to forgive him. And if you forgive him, I'm going to forgive him. Together, let's forgive him. And how are we going to do that? We're going to forgive him in Christ, in the presence of Christ. It's a very important part of forgiveness that in our own flesh we cannot forgive. It's impossible to forgive in our strength. The only way that we can truly forgive is if we forgive people in the strength of Christ. Paul says, how can I forgive that person? How can you forgive them? Is if we forgive them with the realm of the gospel at the center of our being. We forgive them in Christ. And so the whole dialogue is about Paul helping the church at Corinth to forgive, to forgive. You're discouraged. You're weak. You're struggling. Let's start by forgiving the people that we're bitter against. And then here's what he says at the end of the verse. This is the danger. He says, if we don't do this, Satan will take advantage of us. And we do not need to be ignorant of Satan's devices. If we don't forgive, it opens the door for Satan to rule. To rule our hearts, to rule our homes, to rule our church. We need not, as Paul said, to be ignorant of the ways Satan works. So when we are tempted to hold grudges... When we are tempted not to speak to them, to cast them off, they're no good to me anymore. May we then be alerted by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, reminding us that unless we forgive, we are opening the door just a little bit further for Satan to come in and wreak havoc in our lives. We often don't associate these things with discouragement, but friend, the context of Hebrews chapter 12 is these things are so vulnerable in our lives when we are down and discouraged. Now, before I move on, notice that he uses the word root here to describe bitterness. Let me just put it to you like this. Deal with sin when the root is small. Deal with sin when the root is small. To deal with roots, you've got to dig deep, Right? It is weed pulling season right now. Every time I open my back door and I see the weeds out there, I'm thinking, Lord, can you mystically allow them to disappear without me paying $500 for someone to pour a magic formula on it to do it? 
I dread having to go out there and pull it up, pull it up. But you can pull it on the surface all you want. It's not going to go away. You got to get down there into the soil and you got to pull up the root. You got to stop the root from growing. And that's the analogy he's given us. When sin comes into our lives, deal with that sin while the root is small. Because if you don't deal with it, the next thing you know, it's going to grow and it's going to spread and it's going to get under the sidewalks. It's going to move into the foundation. And the next thing you know, it, you are so overwhelmed, you don't even know how this thing's going to be taken care of. We're talking about the dangers of running discouraged. Follow me. I'm almost done. When we're discouraged, we're at the, one of the most vulnerable places of our lives. A time when we are tempted to neglect peace at the expense of broken relationships. A time when we are tempted to neglect the gospel by ignoring the roots of bitterness in our hearts. So he says, here's the dangers of running discouraged. Broken relationships, bitter hearts, and thirdly, bad choices. Bad choices. The third danger of running this Christian life in a constant state of discouragement is bad choices. Bad choices. And that's where he takes us to verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator, a profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So the writer is using Esau here as an Old Testament example of one who made bad choices. Godless choices to be, in fact. Now let me finish the statement before you think I'm going somewhere I'm not. But Esau was a man who loved hunting, food, and women more than he loved anything else. And that's why his life was a mess. His priorities were out of line. And he's referred to as a person who lived his life profanely. It's a reference to when a time when Esau sold his birthright to his brother for just a bowl of soup. Because he loved food more than he loved spiritual things. In fact, Esau said, what am I going to do for a birthright? I have no use for a birthright. And that was the whole blessing of the Jewish family, passed down a gift from God. Now, granted, Jacob did his thing. That's neither here nor there for this purpose. Esau was equally at fault. He cared nothing for spiritual things. What am I going to do with a birthright? Sure, I'll give you my birthright. Just pour me a bowl of soup. You see, he wasn't just short-sighted when it came to spiritual things. He was completely blind to them. Completely blind to them. He loved hunting, food, and women more than he loved anything else. Of course, fornicator here in verse 16 is a reference to his life of sexual immorality. And the point of these two verses is to show us that to Esau, physical appetite was what drove him. And he sold out spiritual holiness in a moment. In a moment. Sold it out for something that he could have gotten anywhere, anytime. He could have made his own bowl of soup. But in a moment, in a moment, he sold it out. Because his physical appetite drove him. And here's the saddest part. Verse 17. When he realized he had lost the birthright, he began to weep. Not, as the verse tells us, because he desired to repent 
but because he lost a blessing. Why are you weeping about your trouble today? Is it more so because you lost something that now you realize I wanted it? Or because of your sin that has defiled the holiness of God? Verse 17 is not about Esau genuinely seeking God in repentance and then God rejecting him. I know on the surface it may read that way, but you've got to look at it in its context of the whole of Scripture. It's about God rejecting Esau because Esau wasn't truly repentant. He found no repentance because he wasn't repentant. His bad choices gave way to consequences he could not undo. He's weeping because he lost something he wanted, not because he had forsaken spiritual holiness. The point is, is that discouragement can lead us to make some bad choices like Esau did. And when those choices involve the priority of our physical and sexual appetite over the priority of our spiritual holiness, then we are in danger of not only slowing down in the race, but never finishing at all. You see, when we're discouraged, we've got to protect our hearts. We've got to protect our minds for the potential of making bad decisions. That's why in moments of struggle... My counselor will often tell me, do not make any major decisions right now. You're not in a place to be making major decisions because if you try to make some major decisions, you're going to make some bad ones. That's what happens when we get down. We say things we later regret. We make choices that we can't undo. Now... (laughs) You're thinking, Pastor, I hear all this, but what's the answer to it? <laughs> You're telling us that this is the problem with running discouraged. We, we see these dangers, broken relationships, bitter hearts, bad choices. But what's the solution? Well, the solution is intertwined in this whole passage. I want to give you these three things. Please, if you haven't written down anything else, write these things down. Meditate on them and think them. Sink your spiritual heart into this. Because we're all going to be discouraged. And the truth is, probably in this room today, more of us are discouraged than are not. And I'll go ahead and be the first to admit to you, I've had a rough week. I'm tired. I'm a little discouraged about some personal things in my life. Okay? So while I'm preaching this to you, the Lord knows my heart. I am preaching this twice as hard to me this morning. Discouragement is a part of life. It's a part of the Christian life. And the truth is, most of us probably are discouraged. That's not the point. he's, He's not saying here that if you get discouraged, something's wrong with you. No, that's a part of sin. It's part of the curse. We live in a broken world. We live in broken bodies. We're going to experience broken seasons. The problem is when we allow that discouragement to take us down to a place where God never intended us to go. And we have to be on the lookout for these things when it comes. 
So how do we get out? How do we arise out of the ashes knowing that we're probably going to get back there? But, but how do we get back up so that broken relationships and bad choices and all these things don't take root in our lives? Here's the first thing. Strengthen yourself in the gospel. Strengthen yourself in the gospel. When you are discouraged, strengthen yourself in the gospel. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Strengthen the hands which hang down. Strengthen the feeble knees. When you're discouraged, preach the gospel to yourself. Live in light of the good grace of Jesus Christ on your life. Look, this is not a do-it-yourself tactic, a, 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 an idea of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and, and managing things on your own. No, no, no. When he says strengthen your hands, what he's saying is rest in the strength of Jesus. Get grounded again in the gospel of Christ. Kathleen and I were talking about this on the back porch last night as I was reviewing my, I often preach my sermon to her on Saturdays just to make sure it's acceptable. And a couple of weeks ago when I shared a picture on the screen about the, the time I finished the Dopey Challenge and, and Jared was on, the, and I said something about the idiot on the left. Well, from my perspective, I was talking about Kathleen being on the other side, but from your perspective, it showed Kathleen on the left. And I had to apologize to my wife and say, you're not the idiot on the left. He's the idiot on the right. Anyway, I preach these on Saturday to make sure I don't do dumb stuff like that, but sometimes they end up doing dumb stuff anyway. We're talking about this last night, and we're talking about some personal struggles even in our own life. And, and as we sat there and we, and we cried through some things, I, I, I told Kathleen, I said, Kathleen, we, we just have to remind ourselves that no matter who we want to be, God accepts us exactly as we are. <laughs> I accept her for who she is, not for who she wants to be. And God accepts me for who I am. And I'm grateful for that. That's the power of the gospel. Some of you are discouraged because you're trying to live up to a status that mom and dad set for you, that you set for yourself. And, and every time you find yourself trying to strive for that, you keep falling, you keep falling. Listen, just rest in the gospel. God loves you for who you are. That's where we have to strengthen ourselves. I don't have to be like any other pastor. God loves me for who I am. I don't have to preach like anybody else. God loves me for who I am. I want to be the best that I can be for the glory of God. But when we rest in the gospel, what we're saying is, I am accepted by God. I am loved by God. I am chosen by God. And that is where I will find my comfort and encouragement. Remember what Jesus told us. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give, my, give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your soul. Strengthen yourself in the gospel. Be reminded every day of who you are in Christ. Number two, watch out for obstacles, okay? We've talked about the obstacles this morning, but watch out for them. Watch out for them. Verse 13 again says, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. I don't know why, Chris, but when I read this verse this week, all I could think about was stepping on those stupid Legos. <laughs> you parents with young kids know exactly what I'm talking about. There ain't nothing more painful in this world than stepping on a Lego. 
And I, I read that, you know, when you're running, you got to watch out. You got to watch out for the potholes in the road. You got to watch out for the edge of the sidewalk. If you, if you land in the wrong spot, you're going to dislocate something. You're going you're gonna to hurt something. You step on a Lego, you're going to say things that you're going to be embarrassed about. And the point is, is be aware of the dangers. Remove the Legos out of your path. Remove the boulders out of your path. Watch out for the obstacles of broken relationships and bitter hearts and bad choices. Oh, it's a battle when I find myself becoming bitter toward what I thought was a friend who don't reach out to me anymore, who don't take my calls because I don't do things the way he does it. It's hard. It's hard when I get word that a friend, a friend of mine recommended another member of my church to go to a different church. Because you know what Jonathan wants to do? Jonathan wants to call the Pentagon (laughs) and go blow their church up. (laughs) Can I just be honest with you? I struggle. I struggle being bitter. I struggle not having peace with people who seemingly don't want to have peace with me. But this is what he's telling us to do. Make your path straight. Watch out. Don't get yourself in that mindset. Don't get yourself in that place where your relationships are going to be broken because of things you've done, things you've said, ways you've reacted. Pursue peace with all people when you're discouraged. And then, thirdly, look out for one another. We're talking about how do we, how do we, how do we avoid strengthen ourselves in the gospel, watch out for obstacles, and look out for one another, Right? Look out for one another. When you look at the greater context of these verses, it sits on the backdrop of corporate belonging, the church. In other words, we have a responsibility to one another to make sure that none of us fall short of the grace of God. We have a responsibility to one another that in our church family, no root of bitterness will spring up and defile us. The idea here is that we are to continue, as the writer of Hebrews has emphasized throughout the letter, we need to continue keeping each other accountable. We need to continue encouraging one another. Church family, look out for one another. Your brothers and sisters, some who are here today, are hurting. Reach out. Pray with them. Text them. Have coffee with them. Encourage them. Because one day you're going to need that. One day I'm going to need that. It's all about the belonging. Joining a church family is not just some religious right. Joining a church family and membership is saying, I'm here to look out for the brotherhood, for the sisterhood. I'm here to join in this company of people to make sure that we don't fall short of the gospel, to make sure that we keep on running, to make sure that when we're most vulnerable, that we lock arms in arms and we run together, not letting anyone fall back, not letting anyone turn away, not letting anyone quit in the weakest, most broken moment of their life. Look out for one another. You've heard me say it a hundred times. I'm going to say it a hundred and one. We ought to bring two things with us every time we come to church. A worshipful heart and an encouraging word. A worshipful heart and encouraging word. Because we're all discouraged. And the danger of discouragement 
is if we're not looking out for one another, we're going to spiral out of control. Thank God for his gospel. That I can be strengthened by it. That it gives me the perception or perceptiveness and the perceptiveness of others who are looking out for me to say, hey, we need to clear out the path a little bit. We need to make it a little bit easier. Remove these obstacles. Church, we need one another because we're in the middle of running a race. And some of us are hitting the wall. And we're hating every minute of it. But look around you, as we've said often, you're not running alone. We're running together. So let's lock arms. Let's put our heads together. Let's pick each other up if we have to. Let's hold hands. Whatever we do, let's not leave anybody behind. We have a race to finish. Let's stand together for prayer.